And every time um, an elder not preacher, we'd just love to introduce them. Um, and I want, I'd love to pray for Frank. Um, I'd love to I'd love to pray for. <laughs> I'd love to pray for him uh, that God uses him. I'd love to pray for us that we would receive um, all that God has to say through him. Lord Jesus, we thank you um, for Frank. Lord, we thank you for the incredible gifts that you've placed inside of him. Lord, thank you that by your grace you choose to use um, people like us, broken vessels. Um, Lord, for the advancement of your kingdom and for your glory. And Lord, we just pray that you would use Frank this morning. That your Holy Spirit would speak through him. Lord, and you would speak directly into our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear all that he has to say, and all that you have to say to us, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, man. So, great to see you all. Um, if um, I don't know you, it's um, lovely to meet you and uh, see you all. Um, we are midway through a series called Consistent. Um, hope, hopefully, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you'll have been really blessed by um, the sermons. Basically, this, the series is looking at daily things, daily disciplines that we can get into that really bring us spiritual life. And we're going to look today at consistent in the word. Yes! That's as far as I get in terms of art and design, so I'm not going to get any more than that. Um, so I'm going to, we're going to start with an interview. Um, I don't know about you, but I've found these immensely helpful. Just hearing uh, from someone about their real life, how um, these consistent disciplines are blessed and um, you know, uh, building them up and making them more and more mature. So I'm going to invite Aisha up. Um, we're going to take a seat up at the front. Aisha, good to see you. Good to see you. Up on the stage. Right. Oh, get a bit comfy. Yeah. <laughs> so Aisha, people that know you well um, would say that you have a real love for the Bible, for God's word. Mm. Why don't you just um, say a little bit about why you love the Bible so much? Um, so I love the Bible because it is God's word. Um, and it tells me everything that I need to know about him and um, my relationship to him and who I am in him. Um, for me, it's the Bible's more than just like instructions. You hear people say that a lot. There's lots of rules. It's not. Um, so it's more than just like instructions and stuff like that. It's um, it's really alive. Um, for me, it kind of it um, builds me up. It encourages me. It chastises me when I'm being bad. Um, and it really fills me with faith for mm. what God has for me and, and people around me. Um, yeah, I think that's... And for me, it also puts, like, my life and the things going on in my life and the world around me into perspective because I think seeing how my life and what I'm seeing around me fits in with God's story can be like really freeing and liberating because you know that God's ultimately in control and he's sovereign um so yeah amazing so didn't there was a, a particular time in your life where reading the bible became maybe particularly important or you had a particular appetite for it uh, and if so like when was that and what happened um so that was when I was at university so in my second year of university, um, it was the first time that I'd met um, so many different people from different denominations of Christianity. Um, and it was the first time that I'd heard people be so like convinced about what they believed in terms of like doctrine and their interpretation of the Bible and God. Um, but at the same time, some of those doctrines and like uh, interpretations be so contradictory. Mm-hmm. And for that was really confusing for me. Um, so it became really... I realised it was really important that I... Um, 
knew what I believed about God and knew why I believed what I believed. Mm. Um, And it basically pushed me to the word. Um, And there's that scripture that talks about um, not being swayed by every wind of doctrine. And so I really took that to heart. So I kind of just built a discipline of kind of um, testing everything that I heard or people told me or things that I read against the word. Um, Because I'd experienced seeing people kind of just take things at face value and then be led like a completely different direction. So for that, that was really important to me. Right. Great stuff. Um, so how do you think um, reading the Bible helps you in your relationship with God and your relationship with other people, do you reckon? Um, I think it's hard to love someone you don't know. Um, so for me, um, reading the word helps me know God more, which makes what helps me love him more. Mm. Um, it also um, helps with like just building my faith and understanding... Um, Again, just understanding my life and the world through his perspective. Um, so it helps me kind of go to him in times of difficulty and also praise him in times mm-hmm. of um, real joy. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to other people, um, I, th- I think the, I'm constantly remembering the fact that um, we are all image bearers of God um, and therefore everyone deserves to be treated with respect and love. Yeah. Um, and also learning to love people because of the love that I've received through Christ. Mm. Um, and the, yeah, the scriptures are just amazing for just continuously reminding you um, that it's not just all about you. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And how do you like choose like, what to read? Like, do you sort of follow a plan or how do you go about kind of how you read your own Bible? Um, I, I don't follow a plan at the moment. And if anybody's got like good recommendations, let me know. Um, but at the moment, I read books of the Bible. Um, so at the moment I'm reading Jeremiah um, and I do it because um, I, I, I need to know the context and the background of what I'm reading. Mm. So um, for me, reading books means that I can read about, um, I can study kind of like who wrote it, who they're writing it to, what was happening at that time. Yeah. So then when I'm reading the scriptures, I'm actually reading it um, in the context of how it was written and then I can like directly apply that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I do at the moment and I use like study guides and stuff like that. Awesome. And lastly, if you were going to give everyone here sort of some top tips on how to get the most out of their own Bible reading, um, what would you say? Um, So the way I operate at the moment is that when I'm really busy, I read my Bible on on the train to work. Um, So I get like a solid 30 minutes of just sitting down. Um, So I have my pen, I have my Bible and I read it and I just make loads of notes in it. Um, And I've learned tools to help me kind of understand what I'm reading as I go along. Um, So like some really good books, uh, um, there's a book called Women of the Word, which is brilliant for like helping you understand how to get into scripture. Mm. And then another one called Grasping God's Word as well. Um, And then I pray over what I've read. Um, in, when, I, when I'm less busy and I can really get time out, um, I love going like really deep. And so I'm quite like an analytical mind. So the kind of academic approach really works for me. So yeah. I have like concordance here, like uh, study guides there. And it's just a lot. Um, but that's, that's me. That's how I work. Um, so for me, my tip would be to um, know how you take in information and use that to help you read the Bible. Mm. Um, I think that traditionally you hear a lot from people who are quite academic so you feel like you have to read the bible that way and not everybody's wired that way so i have friends who are very visual learners so they use a lot of visual resources they love looking at maps and stuff like that and Mm. i'm like oh um and then you've got people that love 
hearing God's word. So listen yeah. to like podcasts that really help break down scripture and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I think go with what you what works in terms of how your mind works. Yeah. Um, and also pray a lot. Um, I find that the more I pray, the more I want to know who I'm praying to. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just don't do Bible study in, um, in isolation, like do it in community, like Christian. Um, we're a community by the way God has designed us and I think yeah. some of the most enriching times of studying the Bible has come from sharing those experiences with others and knowing what other people are reading how they're reading because um, sometimes it can feel like a bit of like a lonely thing yeah fantastic yeah. oh well thanks so much Isa that was brilliant should we give her a, give her a clap thank you So I'm going to start by telling you a little story. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was at school, um, my uh, biology teacher was a bit of a character. And uh, we were looking at um, nutrition uh, in our biology lessons. And he said, right, I'm going I'm to tell you a story that's going to help you um, to know a bit more about nutrition. And he said, a friend of mine, university... To save money, so he could spend more money on, on beer, he lived on porridge with water. So he'd go down to Morrison's and he'd get a jumbo two kilogram bag of oats, and that would be his daily staple. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, porridge with water. And then he'd spend all the rest of his money on, on beer. And this went on for maybe a few weeks, a few months, and he started to feel, you know, not quite right, so his... <laughs> His energy levels plummeted. His skin was feeling a bit odd and itchy and weird. And his gums were really hurting and swollen. He was like, what is going on here? <laughs> so he went to the GP. And the GP did some you know, analysis and so on. And the GP said, I hate to break it to you, um, something, something quite serious, actually. I was like, what is it? And he was like, um, you've got scurvy. And... Um, if you don't eat more vitamin C, um, your teeth are going to start falling out. So, obviously, that's, that's it, by the way. That's the <laughs> I was hoping for a laugh, but oh well. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh dear. So, obviously, stupid story. Didn't go down that, that well. <laughs> But hopefully what it illustrates is if you don't eat the right things, then obviously it has a huge impact on your health. That was, that was, that was the point of the story. So, moving swiftly on. We're going to look at a passage today uh, and we're going to look at um, the way Jesus uses the metaphor of food to make a profound point about the word of God. So let me read it to you. It's Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus says this. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of of God. Let me just say another quick prayer before we dive into this. Lord, thank you um, so much for your precious word. Um, Thank you so much, Lord, for the life that is found in your word. Um, and I just pray, that, Lord, that as we dig into this verse and as we look at um, this amazing treasure that we have in our hands, your word, I just pray that you'd teach us and help us. Holy Spirit, we need you to, um, to open our eyes to these truths. So, yeah, please help us, I pray. 
Amen. So a little bit of context. Jesus said these words when he'd spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the wilderness. And in verse 2 of um, chapter 4, which is probably the biggest understatement in the whole Bible, it says he was hungry. And then verse 3 tells us that the devil, the tempter, came to Jesus and tempted him to sin by turning stones into bread, which would have showed a lack of trust in God's provision. And the way Jesus responds is, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which is a book in the Old Testament written by a guy called Moses. And in Deuteronomy, Moses is reminding the people about how God led them for 40 years through the wilderness. And each day, God provided a daily allowance of this bread-like substance called manna for the people to eat. If you read Exodus 16, you'll see that God only gave the people a day's worth of food at a time. And he did that so that they would trust him that when they woke up the next day, there'd be enough food for that day. And so on and so on as he led them through the wilderness. And Moses is using this and he's teaching the people to rely on God's promises, to rely on the word of God. And then Jesus builds on Moses' teaching and he adds another dimension. Jesus is basically saying, just as food sustains you and gives you physical life, God's word sustains you and gives you spiritual life. Now I chose this passage for today because I think it's such a great teaching for what it looks like to live a consistent life. We've got to eat and drink the right things to sustain our body. Jesus is saying we've got to get into God's word to nourish and build up and strengthen our, our spirits. So my question for us today, my question to myself today, is how are we doing at consistently consuming the word of God for the benefit of our spiritual life? Now, if you were here last week, we did a little survey. Um, thank you so much if you did fill one of those out. It was very helpful. Um, my wife is um, incredible at crunching data, and thankfully um, she offered, kindly offered to, um, to do the sums. Um, maths really, really, really isn't one of my strong points. Um, neither is biology, um, which might explain uh, the story earlier. So from the survey, there's a couple of things that I want to pull out like, as, as we go through. I just thought this was really interesting at this point. 77% of us in the church feel that they do not have a good understanding of the Bible. So that's three out of four people in this room, if, if we were to take this from last week. None, and none, no, none of us in, in the room put 10 out of 10 for how well they understand the Bible. So it's clear that for us, and again, myself included, we'd really benefit from more consistently digging into the Word of God for our spiritual health. So here's where we're going to go together. Firstly, we're going to explore the doctrine of God's word and its implications. Then we're going to look at the ways in which God's word brings us life. And then we're going to look at how to get the most out of your Bible reading. So first of all, the doctrine of God's word. Now, doctrine is just a fancy word for a body of teaching. And it's really important that we get our doctrine of the Bible right. Because until we know what it is that we're holding in our hands, we're not going to have any appetite for it. We're not going to want to read it. So two big truths about the word from Matthew 4, verse 4. Number one, God is a speaking God. Jesus says life comes from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now this might seem an obvious fact, but this is one of the foundational truths of the Christian religion, the Christian faith. Listen to this quote from J.I. Packer. He writes that the Greek word translated reveal, apocalypto, means to unveil something that was previously hidden. 
or to bring into view something that was previously out of sight. Christianity rests on an unveiling of the hidden creator himself. Christians enjoy the light of the knowledge of the glory in the face of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Revelation is a divine activity, not therefore a human achievement. Revelation does not mean man finding God, but God finding man, sharing his secrets. God showing us himself. So God speaks as a speaking God. And why has he spoken? Well, the staggering answer to this question is that he wants to make friends with us. He wants an intimate relationship with us. Aisha said it, didn't she? How do you know someone? By, by having a conversation with them. God wants us to have a genuine two-sided relationship. It's not a relationship like a man with his dog. It's like a relationship between a husband and a wife. To build a relationship, you need communication. So God, in his love, has revealed himself in the word. If you take nothing else away from today, if that's the, literally the one takeaway, then I'll be happy. Read the Bible, not because it's a rule, not because it's a, a box to tick. Read it because it's God revealing himself to you to have an intimate friendship with you. If that's the one thing you take away, then I'll be happy. So God speaks, but what has he told us about himself? Now, I could spend two or three hours reeling off all the things that God has said about himself. Let me just give you a few things. God says that all things were made by him, are sustained by him, and exist for him. Romans eleven thirty six. He says that he loves justice and hates wrongdoing. Isaiah 61, verse 8. He says he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Psalm 145.8. He is faithful to his promises and he never lies. He never changes. He regards the poor, the broken and the destitute. Like I said, I could go on and on for hours. Now, this has implications for how we read the Bible. We should come to the Bible primarily to get to know God better. Don't come to it primarily as a rule book, primarily as a self-help book, or primarily as moral guidance. Come to him because he satisfies your soul. When we glimpse God, when we, when we, when we see him revealed to, to us, it, 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 it nourishes, it builds us up. And obviously as a byproduct of that, we learn how to live a moral life. We, we, we're going to feel better. It's going to help us with our problems. But primarily, read it so that he can reveal himself to you. Now, how has God spoken? He's a God that speaks. How does he speak? Well, Hebrews 1 verse 1 gives us an answer to this. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So God's chosen method is to use human beings as his mouthpiece. That's why the prophets are always saying, thus says the Lord. God was addressing the people through the mouths of the prophets. Then, in Jesus, God spoke directly to the people. So if the prophets were his human agents speaking his words, then when he he came to earth in Jesus, that is God directly addressing the people. So that's the first big truth in the doctrine of God's word. God speaks. Second truth, God's word has been written down. Jesus says, it is written. So it's one thing to say God speaks, but it's another thing to say that his speech has been committed to writing. 2 Timothy 3.16 is really helpful here. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Now scripture is the word that Jesus and the New Testament writers use when they talk about the Old Testament. 
2 Peter 1.21 says this, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the writings of the Old Testament were a result of God the Spirit speaking directly through the prophets, which they then committed to writing. What about the writings of the New Testament? How do we know that they're the inspired word of God? Jesus' teaching in John 14 is really helpful here. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that's his disciples, while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus knew that his disciples were a forgetful bunch. They always got the wrong end of the stick. So how could he trust them to write down his words in an untainted way? How could they write the pure words that Jesus spoke? The answer? It's the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So just as the Holy Spirit is the author of the Old Testament, speaking powerfully through the prophets of old, the Holy Spirit is also the author of the New Testament, working in the apostles who wrote the New Testament, revealing clearly and without error all that Jesus did and said during his earthly ministry. So we can be confident when we open the Bible that everything in the Old Testament, everything in the New Testament, are the inspired words of God himself. Now you might say, okay, I can accept that the Old Testament and New Testament are the inspired words of God, but how can such an ancient book be relevant to my life? That's a great question. And to answer this question, it's helpful to go to Matthew 22, 31 to 32. Jesus is discussing the resurrection with a group of teachers called the Sadducees, and he says this, and as for the resurrection of the dead... Have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. Did you see that? Jesus expects the Sadducees to read the Bible as God speaking to them. Even though it was read, even though these words were written a thousand years before Jesus was speaking to these guys, Jesus urges them to come to it as a living word that's going to speak to them. Consider Hebrews 4.12, the, God of, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when we come to the Bible, we should fully expect it, and we should fully expect this experience, this powerful experience on us. It challenges us, it rebukes us, it warns us, and it lays bare what's really going on in our hearts. You see, human beings have never changed. Obviously, the Bible was written in a very alien culture to ours, but the Bible has never changed. Look through Genesis, the oldest book in Scripture, and you'll be struck by how much it speaks into your life today. It's it's got it all. It's got love, jealousy, hopes, dreams, relationship breakdown, disappointment, confusion, pain. It's got every every gamut of human emotion, every experience that you'll ever come, come up against under the sun. It's all there. And even more crucially than this, Jesus teaches that the Holy Spirit is able to take God's word and freshly apply it to us every time we read it. Listen to John 16, 13 and 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So if you're a Christian today and you've got the spirit living inside you, when you read your Bible, he'll take the timeless word of God and he'll freshly apply it. He'll preach it to you. 
That's what one writer um, says. I can't remember who it is, but he says, basically, the Bible is the Holy Spirit preaching to you. So when we come to the Bible, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit. Again, Aisha, so helpful. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And see, he is the perfect teacher. Now, some of you wrote on the questionnaire, what about those that aren't very educated? Or um, what about those who maybe um, are from cultures where there's not as much um, freedom of information? My answer would be the Spirit. Obviously, there's, there's lots of great projects going on where the, the Bible's being shipped out to places all over the world that need it. And hallelujah and praise God for that. But the Holy Spirit is the, is the great teacher. And he can take even the simplest mind and illuminate it. It's an incredible ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when we, when we read the Bible, pray, ask for his help. So knowing the doctrine of God's word is really helpful when we answer genuine questions about the Bible. Now, again, on the questionnaires, there are some really great questions. I'd love to have the time to, uh, to address them all. But let me just give you one example of how you can apply the doctrine of God's word and then apply it into a question that you have. So here's the question. The God I see in the Old Testament is different to the God I see in the New Testament. Now, before I start trying to give an answer here, it's really important to acknowledge this is a a really fair question. And sensitive readers of the Bible are often struck by the severity of God's dealings in the Old Testament, which seems a little bit out of sorts with his kind and forgiving and gracious nature in the New Testament. And you know what? It's it's something that I really uh, have grappled with and and really struggled with as well, and it's still something that I'm working through. So I've been on a real journey, and I really get this question. And although I can't give you an easy, neat answer, hopefully, with the way that God's gently and patiently helped me to grapple with this question, hopefully I can try and do my best at trying to answer this question. So how do we answer it? Well, firstly, we need to acknowledge that no one reads the Bible neutrally. That is, everyone reads the Bible through cultural lenses, often that we're very unaware of. So every culture will find certain bits of the Bible hard to swallow and certain bits of the Bible a lot easier to swallow. But here's the thing, that will be different in different cultures. So the things that we find really easy to say yes and amen to in the Bible, and some of the things that we maybe struggle with, that's going to be a lot different to a different culture. And the danger then is that different cultures end up holding up some parts of the Bible and diminishing other parts of the Bible. And then you actually end up with a God who you've squeezed into your cultural box. A God who never disagrees with you. A God who never tells you that you're wrong. And what that leaves you with, and I say this really gently, but it's not God. We've created a God in our own image. And we've ceased to let God be himself. So in order to stop doing this, to stop squashing God into our cultural boxes, we need to humbly accept that our cultures have good bits, but they have bad bits as well, flaws. It's hard to see it when we're in our cultures, but every culture has good, you know, good and, bad, and bad things about them. And the thing is, we can't dictate to God what is right and wrong. See, we're creatures, He's the creator. We're, we're creatures. And, and listen, guys, again, I say this gently, and I, and I say this to myself, we're fallen sinners. And our nature is to distort and warp the truth of God. So when we come to the Bible, we need to humbly accept that actually our rational powers have been darkened, poisoned by sin. Obviously, in some ways we think straight, but there's a lot of ways in which we, our, th- our, you know, our thinking can be a little bit wonky and in light of this 
We need to assume that the error doesn't lie in the Bible, but actually the error might lie within ourselves. So we need to come to God's word and and try and align our thinking to what he's revealed in his word rather than the other way around. Now secondly, it's important to acknowledge that Jesus never once criticised the teaching of God in the Old Testament. Listen to this, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all that is accomplished. Now, iota and dot refer, refer to the smallest marks of punctuation in the Hebrew language. It's like an apostrophe or a full stop. So Jesus is saying that not even the smallest stroke of a pen in the Old Testament will pass away. Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. He affirmed that it contained the truth about God and everything else. So that should help us as we come to it with our questions. Jesus never once criticised the teaching of the Old Testament. Now thirdly, note God's statement in Malachi 3.6. I, the Lord, do not change. So this plainly teaches us that God, God's nature hasn't changed. But what he can say is that the way in which he relates to his people has changed. Let me try and explain that. So in the Old Testament, it records the Old Covenant, which a covenant is a legal agreement between two parties. So a marriage is an example of a, of a covenant. And in the Old Covenant, which you can read about in Deuteronomy, God laid out really clearly his law for his people. And then he said this, if you obey my law, I'll bless you abundantly, abundantly and you'll want for nothing. Your vats of wine will overflow. You, your children will be healthy and well. The, the land, everything in the land will go well. You'll know peace on every side. God would, God would bless them abundantly. But he said, look, if you disobey my word, then I'll punish you. Most commonly, he did that by raising up other nations, which would then defeat and subdue the Israelites. So this explains the cycle that's repeated over and over again in the Old Testament, which should come up here. So apostasy, that's the people rebel against God and worship other gods. Servitude, so God raises up their enemies to carry out judgment on them. Supplication, the people cry out to God and repent of their sin. And then salvation, God raises up godly judges and kings who save them from their enemies. So that's the way in which God related to his people in the Old Testament. Now the New Testament proclaims not a new God, but a new covenant. A new covenant between himself and anyone who puts their faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, sorry, God's treatment of his people in the new covenant isn't based on our obedience, but on Jesus' obedience. See, Jesus perfectly followed the letter of the law. He obeyed God in everything that he did, so he rightfully deserves all the blessings of God. But yet he chose to die under the curse of God, bearing the punishment for all the disobedience in the world on his shoulders. That means that those who enter the new covenant through repentance and faith in Jesus can receive all the blessings that rightly belong to Jesus, chiefly of which is eternal life and a, and a perfect restored relationship with God. And, all, and then... And then not only do we, do we receive the blessings that, that Jesus deserved, but we can have full assurance that he has taken the just punishment for our sins on his shoulders on the cross. Knowing this 
helps us to understand why we see more of God's manifest anger and wrath and immediate judgment in the Old Testament, disproportionately so in the Old Testament. And make no mistake, there's an awful lot of grace in the Old Testament. If you read it, there's an awful lot of patience and grace. It's not all the book of judgment. God is still so patient and so gracious with his people. But they continue to rebel against him, continue to refuse him. So the tone of the New Testament is, is markedly different. Not because God has changed, but because Jesus has come. Jesus has come. So if you're a Christian today, when you read the Old Testament, it should make you thankful for Christ. Again, if there's one takeout that you get from reading the Old Testament, if it makes you more thankful for Jesus, then it's done its job. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He's laid all of it on his son. That's the scandal of the gospel. It's scandalous. We deserve judgment, but yet we get all the blessings that Jesus deserved. Hallelujah. Praise God for the Lord Jesus. He hasn't changed, but the way he relates to us will never be the same because of his son. So hopefully that's a a helpful um, example of how to take the doctrine of God's word and then apply it to the questions that we have. And again, hear me, some of these answers aren't easy. I really get it. It's really, really difficult. But if we come to it, again, if we pray and ask for God's help, then he does give us answers. Not the answers that are all boxed off, but he gives us answers all the same. So we've explored the doctrine of God's word and its implications. Now let's move on and consider the different ways in which God's word brings a spiritual life. So number one, God's word reveals God's salvation plan. Romans 1.16 says this, and this is Paul writing, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is a beautiful and simple statement about the Bible. God is at work to powerfully reveal his plan of salvation to us. The whole Bible, then, is the story of salvation. And like any good story, the Bible has a beautiful unity and beautiful flow to it. N.T. Wright has pointed out that the Bible story is a drama which unfolds in five acts. Here are the five acts. Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, and the church. Let me quickly elaborate on each one. So creation, Genesis 1 and 2, we read that God is the eternal uncreated one who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. The pinnacle of his creation was the first man and woman made in his image to enjoy friendship with him and share in his eternal rest. Fall, Genesis chapter 3, tells us the tragic tale of human rebellion against God. Adam and Eve, the representative heads of humanity, allow themselves to be tricked by the devil and rebel against God's loving rule, seeking to govern and rule themselves without him. The pollution of sin affects everything. It it ruins every single relationship. The relationship between man and God, the relationship between man and, and, and each other, and it ruins the relationship between human beings and the earth as well. The pollution of sin comes into the earth. And ultimately, humanity is banished from God's presence and unable to return. Act number three, Israel, which is the rest of the Old Testament from Genesis 3 all the way through to Malachi. God chooses a people for himself, and their mission is to fill the earth with the glory of God. God gives them prophets, priests, and kings. The prophets speak his words to them. 
The priests teach them the law and make sacrifices for their sins. And the kings protect and rule over them. The Israelites repeatedly rebel against God, that cycle we talked about earlier, until finally they are completely conquered by their enemies and taken into exile. But God promises that one day he will send a chosen one who will deal with the problem of sin once and for all and bring the people into the kingdom of God to enjoy his presence, free from evil and death forever. Jesus. In the Gospels, we see Jesus Christ as son of God. He's the perfect prophet, revealing the character of God with absolute clarity. He's the perfect priest, obeying every letter of the law and then dying as the perfect sacrifice for sin. He's the perfect king, defeating humanity's ultimate enemy, death, through his resurrection. Act 5, the church, which is Acts to Revelation in the Bible. Jesus is taken up to heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit who empowers Jesus' followers to preach the good news about Jesus. The growing family of the church, sorry, the growing family of Jesus' followers is called the church and its mission given by Jesus, is to make disciples of all nations to the ends of the earth, baptizing them and teaching them to obey Jesus' teaching until Jesus returns to establish God's kingdom and bring God's people into God's presence perfectly forever. So there's the grand narrative of the, of the Bible. There's the story. The Bible story brings us life because it reveals God's plan to save the world through Christ. Now, how does this affect our Bible reading? Well, we must know the story to make sense of every small chunk of Bible text that we read. Let's, let me just go back to the survey again. In the survey, two-thirds of the church haven't read the whole Bible. And maybe because of that, and maybe one of the reasons perhaps why we haven't gone there is because you feel a bit like this. Let me just, can I get a, uh, can I get a um, volunteer? Ari, come on, mate. Oh, go on then, Luke. <laughs> Ari, come on. It's far better looking than Luke. Okay. Just going to get a bit of space here. So, Ari, here's a jigsaw, mate. Oh, boy. What I want you to do is... I want you to put it all together. Actually... Right, pause, pause there. Yeah, you, yeah. you can go and sit down. That's, that might be how you feel about the Bible. You might feel like it's someone's just literally thrown loads of jigsaw pieces on the floor and they've gone put it all together and you're like, how on earth am I even going to begin to piece all of this together? Now, why am I, why am I throwing jigsaw pieces around? Well... Go back to the point. Knowing the story helps you to put every little small chunk of text into context. Knowing the story of the Bible is like having the lid of a jigsaw. Here's the lid. 18,000 pieces. Anyone ever done a jigsaw with more than 18,000 pieces? Me neither. So you look at, look at the jigsaw box. It's got an elephant. It's got rhinos, giraffes. Looks incredible. And the, the jigsaw... <laughs> And the, the lid of the jigsaw tells you what the jigsaw should look like, right? And it's really important that you have the lid. Because then when you get all the pieces out on your coffee table or you spread it out on your carpet or whatever, you're like, right, I've got a sense in which that piece, okay, that's a blue piece. 
there's a bit of blue sky at the top. I'll slot that in there where the sky is. Makes sense. So knowing the full overarching story of the Bible helps us to put each chunk into context. So when you get a chunk of the Bible, let's say a chapter in the Bible, ask yourself the following questions. Can we get the the five acts up again? The previous one. Thanks, Tilly. So ask yourself these questions. Where am I in in the five acts? Okay? At what point am am I reading here? Place yourself in in the overarching drama of the Bible. Ask yourself, what's happened so far? And then what's yet to happen? Ask yourself, how does this passage contribute to the entire story as a whole? So what would I lose if this passage wasn't here? And then, crucially, ask, how does this passage either anticipate, describe, or reflect on the person and work of Jesus Christ? That's the key. And Jesus modelled this when he was on the road to Emmaus. He was walking along with two of his followers and they didn't recognise him. And it says this in Luke 24, 27. Beginning with Moses and the prophets. So Moses is the first five books of the Bible. The prophets, by that Jesus means everything else in the Old Testament. He interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So in Jesus' view, all the scriptures... All the Old Testament was helping us to appreciate him, to appreciate what he came to do, to shed more light on the glory and wonder of the things that he didn't achieve for us. There's a lovely picture that an old Welsh preacher used to use, which was that in every rural village in Wales, there's a road to London. Even the most random back street in a random little Welsh village, if, if you find the right road, it'll lead you to London. In the same way, Jesus says, when you read the Bible, and you might have to think quite carefully about this, but how does it lead you to Jesus? How does it shed more light on him? How does it anticipate him? How does it make sense of what he did if you're reading the New Testament letters? Because it's all about him. The crescendo of the Bible meets its high point in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's why all of our songs are so Christ-centered. I was struck by that today. What great time in worship. And our songs focus in on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ because scripture either anticipates him or makes sense of what he did. So we need to read the story. Now, that means reading every word in the Bible, which can be a hugely daunting task. Really, really hard and daunting task. But guys, if we discipline ourselves to do this, then the, the, the life and the fruit that it's going to bring to your personal journey with Christ, I can't, I can't stress to you how much it'll, it'll illuminate the rest of your Bible reading. So how, let me give you a few pointers, uh, uh, you know, good ways of maybe starting out on this journey of reading the whole of the story. You can try a condensed version of the Bible. So a helpful example of this would be The Bible in 100 Pages by Phil Moore. Really brilliant book. Small little paperback. Or God's Big Picture by Vaughan Roberts. Or try reading the big moments in the Bible story. So the ESV Bible, most ESV Bibles in the front, they have a 40-day plan in which you make your way through all the major events in the story. To use the jigsaw analogy again, it's like the equivalent of filling out the edges of a jigsaw. If anyone's good at jigsaws, that's what you do. You fill out the edge first, and then you know how you can then slot all the rest of it in. So doing something like a 40-day overview of the Bible will really help you to then piece all the rest of it together. 
Thirdly, try a chronological plan of the Bible. So this is the one that I've been going through. I did it two years ago and I'm making my way through it again. And it's brilliant because it lays, it lays out the events as they happen in chronological order, which is so helpful when we get to, particularly in the Old Testament, when you get to the history books, 1, one and 2 Samuel through 1 and 2 Kings, and the prophets and the Psalms. Because here's the thing, they all interweave together. So you'll get a story about a bad king, let's say, who was disobedient to God, and then a prophet, someone like a Jeremiah or an Isaiah, speaks into that bad king and says, look, you need to sort yourself out. You're meant to be leading God's people. What are you playing at? Or maybe the Psalms. You might get a bit where David is on the run. He's fleeing away from a guy called Saul who's trying to kill him. And you go into the Psalms and you read the Psalm that David wrote as he was running away from Saul. Which then makes perfect sense. Because you read the psalm and, and, and David's saying, oh, why are my enemies pursuing me all the time? Why, am I like, why do I have dust to eat? Why am I crying all the time? And you're like, David, what, what's going on? It makes sense when you read that he was being pursued. Someone was trying to kill him. So a chronological plan can be really super helpful. And then, fourthly, go at your own pace. Don't rush it, okay? Again, Aisha was saying, people learn at different speeds. People have got different um, abilities. People have got different uh, gifts in terms of how they understand stuff. So just go at your own pace. Don't try and do something just because your mate's doing it. Try and find your way of, of navigating the whole story. That might, that might include listening to the Bible. Obviously, lots of very busy people in the room. I, I get it. Um, I get a lot of time. Um, thankfully, to read, but sometimes it's a lot more pressed. And listening to the Bible can be a really helpful way to get around that. So moving on, I'm going to rattle through the rest of these now, um, the ways in which God's words brings life. Secondly, the Bible helps us to mature. So so 2 Timothy says that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Here's the bit. That the man of God, or woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if you want to grow strong in God, if you want to be equipped for every good work, if you want to be complete, then let the, the word of God shape you and mature you. Three, the Bible helps you live a morally pure life. Psalm 119. So yeah, Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man, how can a young woman keep their way pure by guarding it according to your word? So the only way we know how to please God, the only way we know how to live in this world and how to please him and obey him is by reading his word. How can we keep our way pure? By reading his word. Fourthly, the Bible helps you live a wise life. Psalm 119.105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Life can be so complicated, right? Sometimes life can be so, so complex. And it's a little bit like walking around in thick fog and darkness. How, how, how am I going to get through this? What's the, what, you know, what path out of all these options should I take? What job should I take? What person should I, what, what person should I marry or should I not marry? Should I remain single? All these, all these complex issues. It's like walking around in the dark. But the imagery of this psalm is so helpful because lights and paths help you navigate through a, com- a complicated and confusing world. And that's what the Bible does. It helps us to navigate our way through this confusing territory that is this life and discern how to live wisely. Fifthly, the Bible helps us fight off Satan. As we've already noted in chapter four, Jesus is tempted by the devil and the way, the way in which he um, 
bats off the temptations? It's half past, so just cautious that we want to make sure we're kids Cool. Just, just call it there? Yeah, yeah. No worries. Well, my, la- my last point, I was going to um, get into some more specific stuff, but what I can do is put it all in a document and yeah, get it out somehow. But my, my last point was this. Let it lead you to worship. That was my last point in massive letters. I wrote it in massive letters on there. Don't read the Bible to be more clever. Don't read the Bible to tick a box. Don't read the Bible so that you can say, oh, I know loads of stuff and have loads of information. Read it to worship. God reveals himself and his, and his, and his beautiful, amazing character in, in his word. And we should, we should worship him. When we read it, it should draw us to worship. And I wonder whether... This could be maybe the first time that you heed that. And you might stand to your feet and you might say, do you know what, this is the first time that I want to worship Jesus. This might be a really significant moment and you might say, I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to respond to the way Jesus reveals his saving plan in his word. I'm going to, I'm going to worship him the first time. Or maybe you're here and you want to make a fresh commitment. You've realised maybe that you've, you've not given your spiritual health the nourishment that it, that it deserves. Perhaps you've been filling your spirits with other stuff which has actually had quite a negative effect on you. And maybe this is a chance to freshly commit yourself to the word of God. Freshly worship God again. Come to him and say, I love you, Lord. Thank you for revealing your character to me. Maybe it's a chance to worship him afresh. So let's do that. Let's stand to our feet and let's respond in worship um, as we're led by um, Andy.